most of our customers are younger parents with younger kids, and that could be newborn to eight, nine, ten. And as we've talked to them, there's a common theme, and that theme is, "Hey, I grew up with and you know without, and then with a phone. I've seen how these things have kind of impacted." kids ahead of my you know kids and I want to do something different so that the time they get one of these infinitely amazing powerful devices in their pocket they just have a different perspective on it than everyone else and I say that out of a place of like excitement and hope for the future generations because I do feel like this young generation of parents is approaching it very differently than my generation did Welcome to Destiny is Debatable, a podcast and movement that will encourage you to build your life into the one you want. Here's your host, a guy who knows possibility is always a possibility, John Grimes. Hey, hey, and howdy, howdy. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. Our guest for this episode is Heath Wilson. He is the co-founder of a device and a platform called Aro spelled A-R-O. It was designed to give us less screen time and more real life. Man, that sure does sound good to me. Hey, Heath Wilson, thanks for joining the Destiny is Debatable podcast. John, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Hey, you're welcome. I'm excited about Aro, and we're going to talk a lot about Aro because I am a parent, Heath, as I know you are, and uh, we've got a we've got a screen time crisis going on. That I'm just kind of, as a parent, getting ready to wade into, and I'm kind of nervous about that. But I think you have a solution. I think you have a tremendous solution, and um, I want to know a lot more about that. But I got to tell you, before we get too far into it, Heath, I'm contractually obligated to ask you some wacky get-to-know uh, Heath questions. So mm, here we go. Um, I don't Love think it. you were prepared for that, but if you can hang in there for me um, and the listeners, uh, I think they would appreciate that. <laughs> we'll do my best. All right. What's your favorite band or type of music? Oh, I love '90s alternative. It's, it's, it's hard to listen to anything else, so that that probably dates me. But uh, but that's my go-to. Your kindred spirits, then, because that's my jam too. Uh, I like all kinds of music, but '90s '90s is it, and particularly uh, alternative. Yeah. All right. I've heard that you're a voracious reader. I've heard that. I've heard you called that. So I'm curious what your favorite book is, or maybe type of book to read. Mm. Man, what a great question. Because I went years, I, I used to only read nonfiction. And I, I burnt out probably a couple years ago and then I switched to fiction. But now I'm doing a good job of kind of mixing it up between the two. But the one I read, I mean, I've got a lot of favorite books. It'd be hard to nail down one. But I recently read Outlive by uh, Peter Atia, the doctor. And it's really about longevity and health span as opposed to lifespan and there was just there were so many good takeaways i just you know starting to think about i'll turn 50 this year so it's starting to think about all right what's the second half of life look like in terms of health and how do i try to optimize not optimize probably the wrong word how do i try to plan for my 70s and 80s and hopefully 90s and what does that look like you know can i can i pull a suitcase down from the overhead bin on a plane can i you know get out of a chair on my own, those types of things. And what can I do today to ensure that that's the case? So in some ways it was 
I don't know, depressing in a way to think about it from that standpoint, but also very encouraging to know that I can do some things today that uh, that set me up for success. In the yeah, that's interesting because um, there's a there's a point in life where you start thinking about that, and uh, for me, it, it took a long time to get to that because we're we're always, I was always ten feet tall and bulletproof, you know, and until until I wasn't, and then it's uh, hard to come to grips with that. But you got to start taking care of yourself and paying attention to things. You made some changes as a result of that book. You know, I'm pretty healthy um, for the most part. I've, I've always stayed in shape and I eat pretty well. So, not major changes. What I have done is schedule a couple extra doctor's visits and scans and those types of things. And it's probably, I don't know, maybe given me a little bit more of a push to to go a little bit further. You know, in terms of you know what I have been doing. At the same time, like. I'm the type of person that can get very um, singularly focused on something. Mm-hmm. So I have to be careful not to kind of throw my life out of balance. Uh, I had a period of a couple of years where I did uh, long distance triathlons. And but I got to tell you, those are not good on a marriage. So I, yeah. I have to <laughs> have to guard my tendency to, sure. uh, yeah. to jump right in. What is something that most people don't know about you? Well, this... <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about how to even explain this, but... Um, Sounds like a good one, then. Yeah, no, this this is a funny one. This goes back a long time, but I don't know if they have these in Texas, but um, does Chuck E. Cheese, the, the pizza place, still exist in Texas? Yes, it sure does. Thing? sure does, yeah. Okay, so before... There used to be a, a another uh, restaurant called Showbiz Pizza that was in uh, Tennessee when I was growing up. I think I may be one of two people on the planet that played both the uh, Billy Bob bear character at Showbiz Pizza and also Chucky the Mouse or Chucky e. Cheese. I was <laughs> you know, 16 to 18 and just happened to be there when the one one acquired the other and uh, played both mascots. So, wow, that is quite a claim to fame. Yeah, man, I didn't see that on your LinkedIn bio. <laughs> Some people don't know about me. <laughs> Something to be proud of, yeah. That's right. Okay, if you could have any historical figure be your imaginary best friend, who would it be and what kind of shenanigans would you do get into? Imaginary best friend. I have to say imaginary because I don't want to, you know, I'm sure your wife's your best friend or something. So we're not trying to replace anybody. <laughs> this is your imaginary best friend to, to go frolic and play and do fun things with. You know, I don't know if this is actually the answer you're looking for, but I had a childhood best friend. And I only, it, he came to mind because we would, every Saturday, I would walk to his house and we would watch Star Wars every Saturday. The same thing every Saturday. Yes, yes, kids do that. Yeah, same thing over and over. Yeah, and I look back and, I'm, and I, I think today, I'm like, gosh, that must have been boring. But at the time, it was amazing. So... I think the answer to the shenanigans is a lot of science fiction movies and or, you know, playtime. And honestly, I haven't thought about that that kid in 30 or 40 years. So I probably look to know what he's doing and see if he has that same recollection that I do. Yeah, was it VHS or something? Oh, yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a person from history. So, yeah, that qualifies. There you go. His name was Kier, if it matters, but... K-E-I-R. It's, it's interesting how your brain can store away things that you, know, you just, just all of a sudden pop never think of. Yeah. And then 
man, I mean, I haven't, I haven't thought of that in, again, 30, 40 years. So, not that. If the last five years of your life was a chapter in a book, what would it be about? I think I'd probably title it Refired. Refired? It, refired. And I'll, and I'll give you some context. So, um, I'm an entrepreneur. I had a business um, that, that we, you know, my co-founders and I ran for almost 17 years. We sold that business in 2017 and I worked for another year for the acquiring company through 2018 and then I effectively at that point retired. Now, retirement was not fun. I was I was, you know, early 40s. Um, so my wife and I we had a conversation. She said, "Hey, take a year off and let's let's figure out what you're going to do." And about 45 days into that one year off, she looked at me and said, "Yeah, you need to go figure it out much faster because you're driving me crazy." And and I say refired more because I'm just fired up about second half of life. I'm fired up about you know what we'll talk about um, you know today, but just fired up about making an impact and fired up about being a productive you know contributor to society. The one thing I felt as soon as I didn't have you know active employment was just this weird sense of I don't know consumerism and not like you know purchasing consumerism, but just I felt like I was taking more than I was giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that chapter in the book would be about that transition. It'd be about getting fired up for what's next and you know, fired up for you know, trying to continue to make an impact. Awesome. Well, that's all the questions. Man, those are great. Those are really good. You you awoken some memories that I hadn't thought of in a long time. So as I said, I'm a parent, and I am I'm kind of freaked out about screen time for lots of different reasons. Obviously, it's not good you know, kind of in general. I mean, we need it. It's going to happen. So it's not like we can eliminate it. I'm not trying to do that. But I definitely need to reduce it. But I'm also concerned about what screen time is doing to kids. You know, my kids, your kids, our kids. Also kind of like when, you know, kids watch parents, right? They learn a lot just from watching and observing their parents. And I just wonder how many times my kids or somebody has said something to me and I've had a phone between my face and them. Right. Like I'm looking mm. through them, talking around my phone to them and those kind of mannerisms and things that in the last few years, I've tried to be, become very aware of and better about my interactions, particularly with my kids and, and other people. But you and, and your partner here have come up with, I think, a solution that can help us. And that's um, that's RO. So why RO? How, how did RO happen? What's the, what's the story there? Well, you you hit the nail on the head when you said that how many times our kids look at us and we you know, we have this rectangle between you know, their face and our face and and I felt that tension. So I, I mentioned I was an entrepreneur earlier. Um, you know, I I enjoyed is that the right word? I, I I felt comfort in staying busy. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. That's yeah, that's that's. That's it's a there's some feeling, especially for somebody like yourself, an entrepreneur. That's kind of what you do. That's that's kind of I think so. And how I, you operate. I think it's natural. It is natural, but also it it can become too much. And for me, it had become too much. And I I'll tell you a quick story. So when my son was my oldest, I've got four kids. When my oldest son was in I want to say fourth or fifth grade, he had this little you know one page project. He filled in the blank, some questions, and one of the questions was, you know, what do you want to give your dad for Christmas? So he brings us home. He, he, I'm reading through it. I'm kind of laughing at some of the, you know, some of the answers to questions. But I get to that question, and, and it says, I want to give my dad the gift of family time for Christmas. 
Ooh. And John, I got to tell you that that was a gut punch. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons, you know, he's young, fifth grade, fourth, whatever old that is. I don't remember at this point, but for him to notice on, on a deep level mm-hmm. that I wasn't around or I wasn't engaged or I wasn't present, that was really a wake up call for me. So again, I mentioned this tension had been bubbling around my own, um, Know, captivation, let's call it, with 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 devices, in particular with the smartphone. And my kids had gotten a little bit older, and I started looking into the future and you know, kind of seeing the future through their eyes. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they have the same relationship that I have with my device, they have that same relationship with theirs. This is going to be a train wreck. Yeah. So it wasn't even about screen time necessarily. It wasn't about you know anything nefarious. It wasn't about social media for me. It was, it was mostly about work, but more so, it was about Hey, I've just developed this, you know, dependence, this this tethered relationship to my smartphone, and I've modeled that to my kids. What do kids do? They mimic what they see. And what am I going to do? I'm going to get mad at them once they've mimicked my modeling. And I just knew that was going to be a recipe for disaster. So that's what led to the, you know, kind of the first inklings of of what is today Hara. Okay, so that's why RO, RO happens. Uh, what is RO? Let's uh, let's and this is an audio only medium, so we kind of describe. It's a box. I don't. I don't. That's probably not the right word you want me to use for it, but it's it's a box, and it's a place where uh, devices go to chill out for a little while or to be detached from us, right? Yeah, I think it's a good way to describe it. We do we do use the word box. Here's here's what I so when I felt this tension around my own usage, I did try a bunch of different solutions you know apple's got screen time so i tried to monitor my screen time i, I doubt at the time there were some apps that have been developed that would you know, try to help you get off you know your apps um, and what i determined was it's really difficult to build a solution inside of the problem and that led me to read a bunch we talked about reading earlier it led me to read a bunch of books on habit formation and i came to the conclusion that most habits start with a visual cue in fact that that's kind of what starts the, the habit loop. It's the reason why if you have what's called Peloton bike in your basement versus on your main level, you're more likely to ride it if it's, you know, if it's on the main level because you see it every day. So it occurred to me with phones, most of us don't have a place for them. So we put it in our pocket, we put it on the counter, we put it beside our bed. And if you're like me, if my phone is near me, if it's within arm's reach, I am going to use it. Again, there's always weather to check or sports scores or emails or fantasy scores or, you know, you, you name it, there's a reason to, to check it. And and the truth is, oftentimes when I check it, I just get lost doing something that I wasn't planning on doing. So this started with the concept that, hey, there needs to be a place to find a place for it, but it can't just be a place. It's got to be a place that has, it's calling to you. It needs to be a symbol for your family. It needs to actually have a reward. So we we built the entire platform and I call it a platform because it's both the, you know, the device itself, which again, is this beautiful um, home decor piece, frankly, that lives, that is a box that lives in a kitchen or family room that connects with an app that's tracking all of your time that you are spending away from your phone. And then along the way, it's encouraging you and motivate you, motivating you and, and telling you how the rest of the people in your family are doing and just gamifying that whole experience of putting down your phone. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, as you were talking about that, I, I made me think about the screen time thing that came out a few years ago. Where, you know, it would give you your screen time. And I, I never like looking at that. And I should probably turn it off because it, it's usually bad news, right? It's like your screen time was up 
6% or 12% or down 1% or, you know, I, so I, I see that and then I, I don't ever want to look at it because I don't really want to know how much screen time I use. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a bad, <laughs> bad, like a, like a guilty habit or something, you know? So I guess maybe what you're saying is this um, obviously encourages downtime from your phone, but also maybe gives you the opposite of the bad news of how much, maybe it's how much screen time you didn't have or how much away time. Does it keep track of that? It does. Yeah. And that's exactly it. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. So screen time, tracking that does nothing but induce guilt and shame. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, like all screen time is not bad. You know, if you're sitting on, you know, GPS for four hours driving somewhere, it's still counting as screen time. But the reality is you're not, you know, scrolling up and scrolling left and right. So our view is that screen time as a measure in and of itself is just not helpful. Uh, and we, and ours is a story of hope, right? The story of hope is like your family can be different. Your, you can be different. Like you can be more intentional. You can be more present. So it's not necessarily about how much screen time you have. I mean, there's no doubt that if you're putting your phone away, you're putting your phone down or putting your phone in R that your screen time is going to go down. But again, that's not necessarily the measure of success as we define it. The measure of success is that it becomes natural, becomes a way of life, becomes a rhythm in your family. And frankly, you've built a digital muscle where you just don't feel as attached to this device uh, as you previously did. You know, I was thinking too, smartphones, they're not, they're not that old. You know, at least as, as of now, the time of this recording, they're, Maybe about what about fifteen or so years old? Yeah, fifteen, sixteen years old. The iPhone. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, before I, you know, you talk about not all screen time is bad, and and obviously work and things happen, but it used to be when you come home from work or something, you you know, like I can remember my parents. They come in, put the keys down, and kind of you're detached from work and and essentially the world, really. Um, I guess this is kind of predates computers a little bit too, but with the phone there, the world is is at your beck and call. And the second that I get downtime, I don't know what to do with myself, right? Like, should I talk to my kids or should I go see what the score of the game is? Or, oh, I think I just got a, I think I just got a text message. Let's see who that was. <laughs> I mean, does that happen to, am I the only one that that happens to? Oh, no, this is, I mean, this is universal, right? So the, these are dop dopamine inducing devices and we, and we crave that. Um, and you're right. We, this is an experiment. We're 16 years into it. We're starting to see data that tells us, Hey, these things aren't actually using them all the time. It's not actually that good for you. And there's a bunch of different ways that's measured in particular for a developing brain, um, you know, teenagers in particular mm -hmm, yeah. and, and females, unfortunately, you know, there's just so many downsides to having, unfettered access to, you know, comparison and, um, you know, always knowing when you're not invited and the other things that can, can, can yeah. happen with social media, but you're right. So, I mean, the, the good news is we, we do have that data. We are learning uh, along the way and, you know, with, with other look, smoking until we knew the secondhand smoke was causing damage to those around us. You didn't see a real sea change. Um, you know, with the, with the rates of smoking, certainly that has changed dramatically yes, it has. over the past 30, yeah. 40 years. Uh, and even with phones to a degree, I mean, I, I recall early on when phones were in everyone's hand, everyone used to have the ringer on as loud as possible. So even simple phone etiquette has become a bit better. Mm -hmm. um, now that's, that's been replaced with people who feel 
compelled to to leave speakerphone on or listen to TikTok videos on full yeah, blast. So the, there's, there's there's those people too. Yeah, but I just I was just thinking you used to be like at a group of people or like a church or something, and phones would always go off, right? And now everybody yeah. has one, and you it, it is pretty rare that I hear them. I mean, it still happens, but it's a lot a lot more yeah. rare now. Yeah, I agree. But I think what you're just, you know, when you say we're only 16 years into it, the truth is we are just now starting to understand the relationship that we develop with these devices. And I would suspect if we took a poll or did a survey and we've done these as well, most people would say they wish they used their phone less. And this isn't like a, hey, I want to, you know, on my deathbed, I'm going to wish my phone less. Yes, of course, that as well. But if people were being honest with themselves, they would say, yes, I have missed moments. I am not present with those that I value the most, uh, oftentimes. Um, I'm not connected to the people that I value most, oftentimes. And at the same time, there's a tension because, man, these devices do so much good. I mean, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, my grandmother turned 98, and I was able to FaceTime with her. Yeah, what incredible. A, what a blessing, yeah, right? Incredible. What a blessing. So we don't demonize the phone. I have a smartphone. I'm not giving it up anytime soon. Um, we're just trying to help people understand that there's a time and a place for them, um, and make it easy to put it down. And that's, that's the truth. Like these things are not easy to put down. So RO is built to, to get, make that, make that habit a little bit easier. Why can't we just turn off notifications? Does that do anything? Yeah. What's interesting about that. So there's a, a, a doctor, um, his name is Dr. Maxi Heidmeyer. He's in the London School of Economics. So he did a study on notifications and actually, turning off notifications is counterproductive because now you're more compelled to check the phone because you're assuming something is there. Oh yeah. FOMO. What's shocking to me is that 89% of the times you pick up your phone, it's self-initiated. It has nothing to do with notifications. So, you know, a lot of people will talk about all these hacks, you know, put it in gray screen, um, turn off notifications. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. They're just not going to curb your phone usage more of a mirage maybe make you feel better about it but it probably doesn't really do much you're saying yeah but i will say i we think there's a lot of hope i, I would argue that you know people throw around the word addiction a lot i'm addicted to my phone i'm addicted to my phone and my kids are addicted to the phone that's that's for the for 98 percent of us that's not the case we have just developed a bad set of habits because if it were a true addiction you know abstinence would be the solution. And, you know, most of us aren't going to be able to give up, um, give up our phone, nor should we. You're right. Uh, and a bad set of, set of habits means that we have agency to correct those. So again, I think ours, you know, a solution that's working on that. I'm sure there are others as well. Um, but that gives me hope that hey, we, we can change this. We can, we can demonstrate a different future for our kids. And, and oftentimes the focus of these conversations is always on the kids, the kids, the kids and how they're using it. But but the truth is, parents need to look in the mirror because kids are, again, just mimicking what they see from their parents. And most of us are just really struggling with with how to effectively take breaks. Yeah, well, what have you noticed since you've gone on this mission? And, and I guess, how old is, how long has Aro been uh, around? Yeah, we started working on it in 2020, R&D. We launched to the marketplace fall of 2022. So really commercially, just 14, 15 months. Okay. But obviously, you've been thinking about this for quite some time before the, the final product is on the shelf. In, in your yeah. life, what have you noticed? that you, you talk a lot about intentionality. 
Um, I've listened to some of your podcasts and it's, it's mostly all about intentionality, really, in different areas of life. Yeah. But regarding intentionality and just maybe connections with particularly family or other people, what have you noticed about maybe relationship with your spouse or other close people? Has it, how, how has that changed? Overall, kind of at a high level, I just don't have um, a strong connection to my phone anymore. I'll use it, and I'm, you know, when I'm at work, I use it, of course. But when I get to the house, it's just not, it's not with me. So I've developed this habit or this muscle, digital muscle, if you will, to to be able to put it down and, and not think about it. And and then what that means is that those whoever's in front of me. Um, to have my attention so just from a practical standpoint you know we have still have four kids in the house you know we don't have phones at the dinner table and because of that we have conversations and honestly many nights deep conversations we've got teenagers so you know the stakes are a little bit higher so we're having you know we're having live conversations that would not happen if we had our phones it just simply would not happen yeah and and not necessarily because you know i'm distracted although that would probably be the case, it could be that we're just looking at videos or doing something stupid instead of you know, having a real conversation. So that would be one example. Another, and that's a simple example, but there's a lot of power even in watching TV or watching a show without a second screen. But the experience is totally different if you and your spouse are watching a show or watching a movie where you're both watching that screen but engaged right. together versus you know, me flipping through Amazon or social media yeah. and her doing the same. It's just, a- why do we do that? Well, I'll be, I'll be watching a show and I'll have my phone in my hand. It's like, I, I can't get enough. It's the, the, the show's not enough. It's even during the show, I'm like watching it, you know, on the side or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm multitasking <laughs> my, my media intake. What well, that's totally unnecessary. Probably ruining my brain. Well, like we, we, these are built to, to garner our attention. So it's not, it's not that you're weak. That's how these things were designed. So again, we, we say that the only way to, to not have that happen is to not have it within, you know, within arm's reach or within your sight. So, but yeah, if it's sitting on the couch, I'm going to pick it up. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been at a restaurant and it'll be, we're not to that stage yet. So I'm sure we'd be guilty of this if, if, if I was at this stage, but there'll be a, a you know, a table of like, family probably or people and like we watch them and like 90 percent of the time they're are on their phone their phone's in their hand they're eating nobody's talking to one another they make gestures and waiters don't even get attention or anything and i just look at that i'm like man that that is not good yeah it breaks my heart it really does and i and i wish they could experience the other side of it And and i'll tell you another story so when I was in the middle of being the chief center, this would have been, you know, seven or eight years ago, my wife and I went out to dinner and I think it's, we, we may have even been selling the business. It was a pretty stressful time. I was busy and we were on a date and I looked at her and I don't, I don't know what prompted this, but I just slid my phone over to her and I said, here, take this. She's like, what, what do you mean? I said, just put it in your purse. I just don't, I, it, I, I don't want it tonight. And you would have thought I bought her a car. Hmm. Right. Like the, the response exciting, was, yeah. yeah, it's exciting. Like, oh, wow. He's actually going to be invested and engaged in conversation at our date night tonight instead of taking the call or replying to the email. And I think that's, man, I, I just, I, that's, you just, sometimes you just want to, I mean, I need to shake myself seven years ago, but sometimes you just want to shake these people out in public and say, don't you realize this person, 
beside you or in front of you is the person that you say is most important, yet you're unwilling to let go of this tiny little device and lock in with them, what a, what a missed opportunity. Yeah, and our, our kids see that. Kids see that. We, they, they take it all in. Before the RO days, when things started, do you, did you have your phone in your bedroom? Yes. Did you sleep with your, or near your 100%. phone? 100%. Yeah, every night. Use it as an alarm, use it for everything else, and it's you got to have it, right? Everything. Flashlight, alarm, you name oh, it. Yeah, but, but, but that was an excuse. I didn't need any of those. It was just, it was so if I woke up at 3 a.m., I could see what was going on. You know, it's just, it, it was to perpetually feel, I don't know, important maybe. Um, but yeah, since RO, anyone we were working on RO years ago, my phone has not been in my room for, for years. Now, if there's something crazy going on if our kids are, I don't know, at prom and they're sure. going to be home late and yeah. going to bed early, then I'll, then I'll keep it. But unless it's an extreme scenario, we've just conditioned ourselves that it's not that important. Now, I have to have an alarm as a result. I wear a little thing on my wrist. It's got a half fix that'll wake me up. So it does require that you, you know, have a separate single purpose device, but left alarms are, they still make alarms. So there's, there's an option. To yeah. That. Old school. Right. I mean, I mean, so do you think if you had a phone back in your uh, star Wars days with your buddy uh, every Saturday, you think that that experience would be a lot different if you had your phone with you the whole time, probably wouldn't even watch star Wars. Right. I don't think the experience would have existed. And I don't right. think I would have ridden my bike as much. I don't think I would have explored as much. I don't think I would have risked as much. I don't, you know, that, uh, on and on and on. And I think that's the, you know, when we talk about kids, I think that's what breaks my heart is just to know that, you know, those periods of boredom where you had to be creative or those times where you built a Ford, you know, out of cardboard boxes or you just explore the neighborhood, you know, or, 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 you know, a lot of those have gone away because it's easy just to get locked in on a game or, or something else. Have you gotten pushback from any of your friends or family? Like, hey, I texted you like three hours ago. What, what's the deal? I need an immediate response. John, what a great question. So I, this is one thing I've learned. I learned this in, in the business world as well. Is you, you condition people on the other end of you to how quickly you respond. And that's not just with text. Um, you know, that's with email and, and even, you know, response to voicemails. But my friends know the lifestyle that I live, so they don't take offense if I'm not, you know, immediately available. And, you know, I feel like we've just, as a culture, we've probably kind of pushed the, pushed too far to one side of the pendulum where we just expect everyone to immediately reply, um, you know, to, to any question that we have. And even with the, you know, the three dots on, on Apple, you can see when someone is replying. Right, replying so I'm yeah. just very disciplined. To, yeah, I'm just very disciplined about, you know, if it's not urgent, I'm not replying immediately. You know, I'm not dismissive. I'm not ignoring. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to, particularly with my family, like I don't want to set up an expectation that, hey, guys, when I send you something, I need an immediate response. It's just, again, I'm, not, I'm trying not to uh, say one thing and model another. Yeah. I mean, of course, like you said, there's emergencies and there's reasons why you need, you know, immediate responses to certain things. But just in general, that's probably the approach to take. And I don't know if it's going to be easy to move people back to that or are we going to get so burnt out and frustrated with all these notifications and anxiety that they cause for waiting for the next one that maybe maybe there's going to be some blowback maybe there's a, some pushback and people finally realize it i think you know as we as we mature with our our device usage i think it happens naturally i mean i recall when my my kids 
first got a phone, like, you know, they start texting with their friends and it's like, hi, 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 emoji, emoji. And then you know, it's just a lot of just like childish yeah, banter. Yeah, and now right. I think about, yeah. And, and now I think about the way that I, you know, respond as a, you know, someone who's had this for, for many, many years. I'm, I'm just more thoughtful. You know, even if I have a thought, let's say that I've got a thought, and I want to communicate that to someone Let's say what I do right now. Like I, I would look at the time and say, is that really worth me sending it to them at, at, at this time, you know, in the middle of whatever they're doing? So, um, yeah, some of that's, you know, just age and maturity and wisdom. But but I think the other side of it is, man, if you're on the receiving end of that all the time, at some point you just burn out and you just kind of yeah, disconnect enough. from that yeah. level of, yeah, exactly. Satiated. Enough. I can't, can't handle it anymore. I tell you what, though. The uh, today kids are getting phones earlier and earlier in life. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't have a phone. Well, I don't want to get into my age. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. There was no phones um, <laughs> until much later in life. But like uh, even, in you know, there's phones at elementaries. And. I think, you know, those kids don't. You know, we're talking about the silliness of, of texting with young people or kids that it's they, they don't have any capacity to even really understand any of that stuff. And here we are giving them basically the keys to the world. And depending upon how knowledgeable the parents are, it might be just totally unlocked, just like wide open, which is just, it's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe if, if you have an op opportunity to, well, how your kids, this is a few years old and you got teenagers. So did your kids take to this or what kind of was their re reaction? Well, you I mean, look, my kids have grown up with, with watching their dad build this business. So they've been a part of it for a while. And, and I, I feel like they've got pretty good habits around their phone. But we, I mean, like every family, we screen time was and is the number one battle, you know, above drugs, sex, and alcohol, honestly. Like it's the number one thing we talk about. So it's not that we're immune to to the challenges here. And, you know, we went through the same conversation around when is the right age to, you know, to expose them to this and what, you know, what guardrails we put around it. It has been fascinating within the past five years, I have seen the average age of, you know, our first device drop dramatically. I mean, I think, I think on average when our kids were, or maybe the cultural um, agreement at the time was around 14 and now it seems like it's nine or 10. Oh yeah. I think which, you're right. Yeah. Which is terrifying to me um, for all the reasons you stated. I mean, one is they're not, they're just not emotionally prepared for it. There's most parents aren't good at locking it down. So there's unfettered access to things they shouldn't have access to. And, and people have access to them that shouldn't have access to them. So I'm not an expert on when they should get a phone, but I know the experts say wait as long as possible. You know, and there's lots of movements around, you know, wait until eighth grade or wait until high school. And now there's a whole safe tech kids phone category. That's meant to be a kind of a gap uh, approach before they get, uh, you know, something like an iPhone or an Android phone. But I do think it's, concerning that we are putting these devices in the hands of second, third, and fourth graders. There's just, I just can't think of a reason why it makes sense other than maybe just an insane amount of peer pressure or comparison pressure that they're just having the, the parents in particular feeling and the kids feel obviously, but parents are ultimately the ones that buy the phone. So they must be feeling the pressure too. Yeah. That's pretty tough. Peer pressure, the everybody else is doing it. So why don't we kind of thing? And, then of course there's the safety element where you want to be in contact with your kid, but you know that you really don't want that. 
it's important to be in contact with the kids so you know what's going on, but do we really need that much contact that we want to give them the keys, just unfettered access to the world for that? I don't, we're, we're exchanging safety for danger, basically, in that exchange, I think. Yeah, and man, that, that's what's really changed over the past 15 years, I would say, is this unhealthy amount of fear we have as parents around always having to know where our kids are. I can't imagine if my parents knew where I was all of the time when I was a high schooler. And now, you know, you're you're an app away or a track, you know, apple tracking away from knowing what street they're on and how long they've been there. So it's boy, it's you know, in some ways we're just not allowed and, and I don't mean bad risk, but we're just not allowing them to take risks or to have freedom that help them develop, you know, as mm-hmm. as an adolescent and as a as a young adult. And you know, we I don't know that we know the, the ramifications of that yet. Um and also don't like, you know, I don't want to inject fear into my kid's psyche either. So, you know, there's probably some unintended consequences of us being too tightly controlled around and, and, and justifying it with safety. But again, there are, look, there's valid reasons to have, you know, a kid's watch or a, you know, kid's safe tech if, you know, depending on your family situation, depending on rides after school and sports events and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm not, certainly not opposed to, um, we're not poo-pooing anyone that you know, says, well, my son leaves it in fifth grade because of all these reasons. But you know, just make sure you're giving them the age-appropriate device as opposed to something, <laughs> the, the newest version of an iPhone. Yeah. What is the user base for you guys like? Is it is it all over the place? Is there a certain, are there, do you know if it's uh, young families or older families or families or individuals or what's that look like for you guys? Yeah, well, we like to say our was built by parents, for parents. Um, so in- inevitably there's a family, you know, a larger family or, uh, with, with the you know, parents, of course, but um, it's largely been young families. We would not have predicted that. We would have predicted it'd be families with teenagers who have phones. Cause again, there's more, probably more tension and arguments, um, you know, in those, in those families. But, um, and this has been a, this has been a, a fun learning um, and really an encouraging learning. Um, that gives us a lot of hope is is seeing that most of our customers now are young families. So these are, you know, with, even with newborns all the way up to let's call it eight, 10 year old kids where they're just trying to get ahead of the game. And they're saying, look, we know if we can do something different, then our kids will have a different approach and different relationship with this device. And I think that generation benefits because, you know, they grew up with and without a phone without, and then with a phone. So they understand life without it. And I think they want something different for their kids. And I, I mean, probably every week we hear a story of a two-year-old, a five-year-old, or a seven-year-old taking their mom or dad's phone and putting it in the RO box. And man, that's how great. awesome is that? Yeah. <laughs> that's encouraging. How amazing yeah. is that when you're, yeah, yeah, because your kid's like, look, this thing that mom or dad has, mom or your daddy has, is getting in the way of doing the, what I want them to do, right? Playing right. on the play with Legos, get on the floor, whatever. So I'm going to get rid of this thing and they've got this box. I'm just going to throw it in there for them. Genius. Yeah, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Okay. So uh, I've got a young family. I want to go, uh, I want to go get Aro. So how do I do that? And what should I, what's the experience and what should I expect? How does it work? Yeah, we sell directly to our website, which is goaro.com, G-O-A-R-O.com. Uh, it is a subscription. It comes with the device, this beautiful, for lack of a better word, box, fabric wrap, bamboo top. Um, we like to say it's wife approved. 
no one's going to put a shoebox on their kitchen table or you know in their family room. So we knew this had to be something that fit uh, fit into home decor. So first off, it is beautiful. You'll be proud to display it, and it needs to be displayed. It needs to be that visual cue to start the habit loop that says, "Hey, he, hey, John, this is where I'm calling you. This is where your phone needs to go in your home with those that are closest to you." So yeah, you can buy to goar.com. Um, once you receive the package in the mail, it shows you how to set up the app and connect it to the box, and then you are off and running. And uh, life is more intentional now, right? Maybe not totally intentionally, but I'm on the right road to intentionality, I guess. I think so. I mean, look, that's, that's, a, that's a lifelong journey for all of us. And the first couple of days are both glorious and also terrifying. Sure, you know, yeah. That's the first time you, you put your phone down and, and you, you feel naked uh, for a while you, or you've lost your key you know there's something there's something a little off but really quickly you start to see the benefits and, and when it really sets in is when someone notices and we didn't talk about this but aro is actually a, a word from the, the maori language in new zealand it actually means to notice uh, to pay attention to to turn towards to take heed so it's all about giving ourselves the opportunity to notice to be present and not even necessarily be present with with those around us, which would be awesome, but even to be present with ourselves, to be able to have, you know, clear thoughts without constantly being distracted by, you know, the allure of this, of this device. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, and that can be, that can be powerful. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's probably, it's the withdrawal too, from all the dopamine we're not getting. And it's probably akin to caffeine withdrawal or nicotine or some other sort of withdrawal that we have to go through. So I guess it's going to take a few days or maybe a week or two to, to balance that out. It does. But I'll tell you, once you get into the rhythm, it's, it's a great feeling. And honestly, once you get to the point where it's natural, and that's really what we're looking for. We want to make it natural for people to put down their phone. Once you get to that point where it's natural, it's freeing. It really is freeing. It's like you've just broken the chains off your ankle and, and you're, you're able to run again. So, and I mean, I wish in whether someone buys our or not, I, I, I had that wish for them. You know, if you can do it with a shoebox, you know, through a drawer, if you leave in the car, whatever it takes, do it. You will not regret. Your spouse will not regret. Your kids will not regret. And you won't regret it yourself. Thanks so much for spending your time with the Destiny is Debatable podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe. It really does help us grow and reach new people. For more information, visit johnbgrimes.com. Destiny is Debatable is a Symblem production.